Hey, Jeremy, how are you? I'm all right. How are you, Damon? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I wanted to talk to you today about the acronym PERMA, and this comes from positive psychology. And in that space, PERMA stands for positive emotions, engagement, relationships, meaning, and accomplishments. And the founder, Martin Seligman, famously was just a big grump and as he was gardening one day, his young daughter came out to play and she trounced on one of his flowers and he just barked at her and blew up. And his daughter said, daddy, why are you always so grumpy? Mm. And, and it really dawned on him. He was becoming the president of the APA, American Psychological Association, that year. And he was very much into psychotherapy. And it dawned on him that she was right. It was true. And it altered his idea for research in the psychological field. And he decided to explore positive psychology. And through all that exploration and testing and such, they created this acronym PERMA. There's a lot of very well-established science around why PERMA should be at the heart of our reflection as we are considering our lives. So let's start with the first one, positive emotions. How much time are you experiencing positive emotions, Jeremy? I'm getting a visual and it's sort of a color bleed. And what I feel like the stronger colors I'm seeing, like say a dark red, are the negative emotions, the really hard emotions, the frustration, the anxiety, jealousy, hmm. negative self-talk. And those get really thin, diluted, widened, mellowed mm. by meditation, by mm. mindfulness, by exercise, and related practices that we talk about on every episode of our show. Mm. And in that calm and that white space, then, I don't know, violet, <laughs> blue, mm. whatever you want to do it, this positive emotions can bloom. And I know that's not a percentage, that's a color span, mm -hmm. but I feel like that's the, the process. There has to be, I'm often led by the, the barking dog of those negative ones. Mm -hmm. And then I, through a somewhat active intentional practice, calm those. And then I'm caught by surprise by mm -hmm. the positive ones. They're less often cultivated or intentional, they just sneak up on me and I notice that I'm smiling or I'm warm or I'm feeling positive or optimistic at the end of that. It also follows accomplishment or getting much more often. Accomplishment is so nebulous in my field at least. Mm. It, it much more often follows positive feedback, which itself is unpredictable and intermittent <laughs> yeah it's not something i initiate usually so again i'm just in a neutral or negative space and then i get caught by surprise by that and i think i need to be even in that neutral space to have that take me to a positive place so mm. percentage i don't know 20 percent <laughs> mm, right the reason why i think this one is so crucial and so important is because it is so hard to manifest it's just we're not we're not built and wired to 
bathe in positive emotion. What I liked about what you were saying is that you can cultivate the conditions to get into neutral and without negative emotions, there wouldn't be positive emotions. So you can't live there 80, 90% either. And I like the idea of being surprised by them where it's it it has more of an organic sustainable element to them when i explore this question is just somewhere along the line this sense that we're that that we're we almost look like show-offs when we're happy and, <laughs> and that it's so easy if you're going to the water cooler at work and you walk up there and you really want to bond with somebody it's so easy just to say, ah, oh, God, this weather sucks, doesn't it? Or God, our boss, oh, I feel terrible. But not very often would you walk up and try to bond with somebody and say, hey, I'm feeling great right now. Things are going so well. And so I think shining a light on positive emotions as a metric is something that should make its way into our vernacular and into our awareness. And I'd say for me, it's less common than I would hope it would be. I'm typically ready to breeze past positive emotion and get back into the grittiness of productivity and learning and growing. And that's a real problem. It's like I'm doing things to make me happy, but as soon as I get there, I'm like, okay, let's get back to work. <laughs> right. You know, it's the doing things. I forget what the outcome I was trying to do. And you have that power often to start with that outcome, but it requires a, a different intentionality and a different framing than we're conditioned to do socially, as you said so well. And another practice that I'll lump in there is around gratitude. And there's a really amazing evidence-based studies, tons of research around this one. Let's just think about it in terms of positive emotion. During your day, where did you experience positive emotion and what was going on? If you can find three moments within the day, then the relationship to finding that within our own attention system becomes more intimate. And underneath that, there's this wealth and this warmth feeling of comfort and joy and genuine happiness that is something that we can cultivate and we have to push back against the biases that are typically slant negative anyway. So that's P, positive emotion. You said 20%. I'll, I'm going I'm to hover around there too, somewhere around 20%. I want to pay respect to all the other emotions, but I would aspire to experience positive emotions at a higher percentage than I do. For me, the ambition is to expand that neutral space, that white space. So when awareness or good fortune takes me, I'm ready to be happy for that and appreciative of that and grateful for it. And I do think that's the percentage I can play with often. When in a negative space and state, then the next best step is to go to neutral, as you said. And then from neutral, you, know, you can hang out there a little while and remember what you forgot. And within that, potentially have the opportunity to take it to the more positive valence. 
I get sometimes get. Let me ask your advice on something. I yeah. feel like this is a good point. I sometimes get flattened by that super simple question, how are you? Yeah. Oh, I'm fine. Just seems shallow. Mm. And if I say, oh, and I start ruminating about my day and I just, I haven't done this or I'm trying to do that, it, it becomes not how I am, but what I've done or really more what I haven't done. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if I say nothing, then I'm an antisocial weirdo. <laughs> so... I'm trying to be a pro-social weirdo. <laughs> mm. So what do you think I should say? What do you say? How do mm. you navigate? How are you? I mean, I know a guy I pass, he always goes, best day of my life. He's got his canned answer and it's positive, <laughs> but it's wry enough that it's not grating. Yeah. But I don't know. Do I need a script that slightly replaces, but pretty much does the same thing as I'm fine since it's not that big a deal or what? In the spirit of the P in PERMA, what we're talking about right now, it could be where I started by saying, Jeremy, tell me about one time today that you were really lit up, that you had a little twinkle in your eye, or tell me about a time today that you overcame something that felt daunting. That also could feel like a challenge but at least it's driving us more into the present moment and not that stock canned autopilot. I'm not really invested or present while giving you my response. I think where I get frozen is when I'm still transitioning or still stuck in the ruminating mind from work, to put mm. more frankly, or personal reflection about what is my role in the universe? <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think maybe a different frame is, yeah, let's, hey, can you help me move this for a second? Mm-hmm. Move this water cooler <laughs> over? Mm-hmm. Or can you help me put a new one? Mm-hmm. You'll By asking me to do that, you'll have just made my day because I'll have been put into motion. I'll have done an action. I'll have completed a task. I'll have been in community with somebody else. It'll be mm-hmm. a team effort. Then how am I doing? Oh, I'm doing good. Mm-hmm. I was worried a minute ago. Maybe it's more, how do I get into motion or get into connection? If, especially if I'm not the one initiating that question. Which segues beautifully into the E of PERMA, which is engagement. How much time are you engaged fully in what you're doing? That the action and, our, and the awareness of what this action is are merged. It's not us performing a task. We are in the task. We are engaged fully in what we're doing. And this, as it turns out, is very healthy for us. And it is the antidote for the rumination and the projection and the analysis and the regrets and all of the what ifs. So this is something that we need to build in our lives. We need that positive emotional valence. And we need this engagement facet to be alive and well. So just in general, as you think about being fully engaged, where do you land on the spectrum? I think 30, 40%. And I might even go higher. I mean, there's a fair amount of passive engagement. I don't know if reading counts as engagement or watching a video or with my family counts as engagement, but I've receded. And you're making me think gardening itself. I'm not 
an avid gardener or active gardener at the moment, but I've participated in community gardens and your weeding together is often the task they assign we novice volunteers. Mm-hmm. You're weeding yourself while you're weeding. So find something to weed, whether it's literal in garden or the water cooler, putting a new one on or yeah, cleaning the kitchen sink, whatever. I think that engagement can be cleansing you know, for yourself too. And when I do it in conversation with somebody else, it's so much richer. This conversation obviously is quite different than just ruminating on this topic by myself or researching it by myself. It's a higher level of engagement. And I remember when I was more heavily involved in the community garden, I would ask friends to meet me there and we would weed together. So we, it'd be like taking a walk, but the end result is we're growing food for ourselves and the other members of the community that benefit from that garden. And this was actually a community farm. It wasn't just a community garden plot for me. And so that was a, I don't know, triple level of engagement, if you will. Yeah. It was the physical activity, the conversation, social activity, and then the community-wide benefit. Mm, so I'll, that's a deep E. That is a deep E. I don't think it's so much the thing. It's how we do the thing. And whether it's weeding or reading, if we're fully present, and I, I actually, I like to define fully present when our mind and our bodies are doing the same thing. Mm. So that it's, there's just this sync happening. And even our mind and our mind, <laughs> I would argue, it's like, I'm working, but then why am I have been checking email? For, <laughs> why have I been on Twitter? Why have I been on a webpage? Why have I been looking at news sites? For the last six minutes, I thought I was working. Well, it's because my mind and my mind weren't even doing the same thing. Yeah. I think people often think about this concept of flow as being some action adventure type thing. And it's really, it's about being present and creating these conditions to have this experience together. Our emotions are contagious. Our nervous systems talk to one another and below the surface of our consciousness. And so if we're emitting a more positive emotional valence from this first part, we're really setting ourselves up to be able to be more deeply engaged with another person or even the weeds or even the book. So this is one that I've spent a lot of time exploring and put a lot of applied experiential time in. So I'm going to throw this one a little higher, probably 50 or 60%. I've been able to give myself permission to say when things are big, go small. And that really means when I'm overwhelmed and when there's just so many different things on my mind, just shrink it all down to the thing that I'm doing right now and just and prioritize that. And really that's the gateway out because as soon as I finish that thing, the calculus changes. And now I'm more present, I'm more engaged. I feel more positive because the thing that I just did, I did well. And now how does everything look? So this is going back to that imagery of negative to neutral, that downshift or upshift in action in in my life. So I just, you know, want our listeners also to explore these first two, how much positive emotion, how much engagement not the thing, but how you approach the thing. And with that, we'll lead to the R, which is relationships. 
how often do you feel that you are participating in fulfilling relationships where your interactions are fulfilling all those moments that we're talking about sprinkled through your day and within your own relationships at home that's a high percentage for me i'm not often in conversation in relationship because i work alone a lot of the time but when i am connecting with someone whether it's someone i'm working with or a friend or a family member or a neighbor it's for me a, a high level of connection i don't skim or skip the heart of those moments if i can sometimes i take them maybe too much to heart <laughs> but I, I like going deep with people even if it's in brief and i'm try to be funny and fast and and loose but also painfully earnest <laughs> mm. i find is actually the most rewarding it's just really this is what i'm feeling or i'm sensing this from you what do you think or i just want to stop and just appreciate this little thing that just happened between us mm. or can i circle back to something you just said is that important is that a worry is that no big deal i'll back off but you tell me those are hmm. patterns that are pretty frequent in my conversations and that's often where I get surprise and reward and connection. This is one of the areas that is needing the most attention. And it's the one that I think people have uh, a limited experience with. You just gave us several prompts, but I want to maybe slow down and think about this one from uh, the perspective of a person who's not used to doing this. With COVID, basically we all work alone now and many people are not used to this and it's very isolating. So for somebody who's not used to trying to cultivate engagement, especially when we're on a Zoom call or just having this lack of connection, physical connection, can you give us a few pointers as to how to start practicing that? I think about what I want to elicit in people before we have a meeting and try to get that into or onto the agenda, the specific question points for them. So it's not just topics, it's also questions. Within a meeting, I think it's pretty obvious that the smaller the group the more easy it is to have intimacy. But even going into four or five people, for me, I find, and your mileage may vary, silence is important because I think it actually happens pretty naturally in live company, especially you can just be quiet together and you are together. But there's an impulse on the videos to keep filling it with space. There has to be uh, words happening. And I say either formally or informally, build that in for, okay, let's just sit with that. Can we just sit with that for 30 seconds and just see what comes up? And again, to me, it's, it's going back to that, can I go back to that neutral and then see what's really there rather than being 
pulled by the emotion, often negative of the moment or the impulse of the anxiety. I also follow up. I just think about little things that someone said that stuck with me and rather than shrug them off or dismiss them, I trust those instincts and I ask. And I guess that goes to that first thing again of just asking those questions. And is this a concern? And I, I think it's only a question if it's in an open way. If it's a, is this a concern? Like to have, that's <laughs> clearly to be said no to. So if you can have that openness, I think that it will lead to ultimate efficiencies and at least surprise and engagement because you can get to places that otherwise can take you a lot of missteps or a lot more very efficient, <laughs> mm. but perhaps less creative meetings to get to. I think if you haven't had a turn in the conversation or a turn in the decision-making, then I don't know what really happened, but I don't think it was the same as a, a relationship. You as a journalist, that might come naturally to you. I know it does. But for many people, asking questions is not really comfortable. It's not you know, second nature. We're spending so much time thinking about ourselves in the conversation. How do I sound? What am I going to say next? That the, the engagement is not possible because I'm not open. And people feel that. As I said, our nervous systems are reading off of each other all the time. And if I am closed because I'm you know, in my own head, then that's going to that's really going to resonate and I'm probably going to get closed responses even if I'm asking open questions. That is critical to being able to cultivate the conditions for engagement. So we got the P, we got the E, we got the R, and we're moving on to the M, meaning. This is really more about a deeper sense of purpose that's greater than yourself. Do you have a read on where that lies on the spectrum for you? It's something that I feel like is almost all or nothing for me. <laughs> hmm. Often, or it can feel that way, where I really get right with my intentions. And the intentions can even just be curious, explore, be present, do your best. Or it can be get this done, knock it out of the park. <laughs> mm. And I think what's funny about both of those that I cited were they were really about myself and my judgment of myself and less about what the specific piece of work was. <laughs> I think that I'm better at finding meaning, or I should say meaning finding me by surprise, again, mm. in those neutral moments. Like if first thing I get up, get out of bed, I walk out my door and I don't have expectations. And maybe I see a star, maybe I see leaves fall and flutter, maybe a dog barks or a baby cries. And... I'm just hugging into those and relaxing and I see myself as part of something much bigger. I don't know if that's meaning or meaningless, but it feels <laughs> really good. It's meaning with a capital M mm. uh, or meaningless with a, I don't know, <laughs> lowercase m. But at work, it's so based on my own judgment 
whether I'm sending a silly little email or I'm doing a grand nonfiction chronicle. It's like my judgment in the moment, which doesn't connect that well to meaning, but it's a before and after when I get into these peaks of frustration or judgment or exaltation and patting myself on the back that I go, oh yeah, I should go back to neutral and then remember why I'm doing this in the first place. But it's rarely in the moment itself. That often catches me by surprise. I don't think it rolls off the tongue for many people to just say, I become witness to meaning and meaninglessness and that it's that everything matters and nothing matters, which is amazing. And I, I think it's a really potent, powerful way to approach the the question of meaning. But the question also can be like, what are you about? Like, what are you here to do? Is there a way to reframe it through that lens? It catches me by surprise, just like the positive aspects. So I'll be bouncing a basketball, walk into a court to shoot, and I'll see leaves swirling around. And there's just a beauty there. I'm like, oh, I'm here to see this. And I'm a leaf swirling around and <laughs> I'm lost and I'm found. Or I'm in a conversation and someone says something to me that is meaningful to me. I'm like, oh, I just wouldn't have anticipated. I didn't know what they were going to say. I didn't know how it would help. But just being in this process let me discover that. Or I say something and they go, oh, yeah, that. And they tell a story. And those points of connection whether it's with a leaf or another person or the crying baby, I don't know how to engineer that with intention except to be aware of and open to it. Maybe that is the purpose is just to be open to these moments that allow surprise to enter in. We're down to the last letter. A stands for accomplishments. And... Uh the satisfaction that you have with your own accomplishments is really the prompt. It's not necessarily to show all the trophies, but how it felt to experience going after things and attempting is another way to frame this, attempting to accomplish, just being in the process, how activated it is that one for you? I feel it's very activated. And I don't know if, I think that's positive and negative. I think a lot of the struggle I have is feeling like I am not doing enough or haven't done enough in the particular moment or stage I'm in. And that when I have an accomplishment, I flick it off (laughs) and Mm. move on to the next thing I haven't gotten. The phrase you introduced me to that I know you use in some of your workshops is wall of winds. Mm. And that's what I think of under this category. Not just, can you have a big wall of winds? You're such a winner. You've done so much. It's more, can all the things you've done that you should count as wins and put on your wall. (laughs) Mm. Don't be stingy in setting up your hall of fame, wall of winds accomplishments. Just note, I did do this today. I did that today. I did connect with this person. It's not everything I haven't accomplished. It's all the things that I have as well. And they can be humble and they can be as humble as 
I took a beat when I saw the leaves swirl in an amazing circle mm. and let myself enter that for a second before coming back to busyness. And it can also be, yeah, I did send that email. I did finish that report. I did make that dinner. I did clean the sink. And it's not to get done. It's hopefully to appreciate even in the doing. But in any case, you're here. You lived. A lot happens every day. So I think it's attention to add another A mm -hmm. to your accomplishments with that wall of wins idea I love. So any final words? We started with the garden and I like that we have our gardens within ourselves. We have our gardens outside ourselves. We have our literal gardens, our metaphorical gardens, and we have our community gardens and our private gardens and our family gardens. And heck, we even had a whole show on secret gardens too. <laughs> I guess I say go out there, do a little digging, get something under your fingernails and take that as feedback and see how it feels. And maybe you can get in the dirt together. I wanted also just one last time for you just to say those letters and what they mean in PERMA and just then model that having a little bit of silence. So as people hear these letters, just see which one lands and takes root for you and go with that one. Don't feel like you need to go in, in the whole order necessarily. Let's just hear them all again and then give a little space for one of them to take root. Positive emotions. Engagement. Relationships. Meaning. Accomplishments. Pick them up. They're all in PERMA. We'll put them in the show notes if you forget and they all got lost once I stepped in and opened my big mouth. <laughs> Thank you for not wanting to be a grump <laughs> and wanting to explore Mr. Mr. Seligman, Dr. Seligman probably, mm -hmm. and let us all take that as a model that an eight-year-old may come up to us with some very important information about ourselves that can change our lives and our field. Thank you, Damon, for gardening with me, if you will. <laughs> and I look forward to the next time you ask how I am. <laughs> Thank you, Jeremy. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Stimulus and Response is hosted by Damon Valentino and Jeremy Smith. Produced by Matt Mullins of Black Booster Productions. Please rate, review, and share the show. And please join us next time for another stimulating exploration of the best parts and best ways of being human and being alive.